0: Weeks uh, getting into this series on relationships, talking about all sorts of things from dating. Can I get a whoop whoop for all the dating people in here? (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, we talked about singleness too. Can I hear from the single people here? (laughs) Yeah, we love single people at Foundry. And then we talked about marriage last week. My dad was actually here for that one. I figured since, you know, I'd never been married before that maybe I shouldn't preach. And tell everyone else how to be married. So I let him come in and do that one. I I preached at his church last week. I've I've heard great stuff about it. I'm sure it was a fun time. Today we're going to jump into our final topic in this relationship series. And we're going to talk about sex today. Everybody said amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. A lot of you are just, you're kind of clenching up right now. Everybody just take a deep breath. It's okay. We'll just enjoy the day. Enjoy the topic. We're going to have fun with it. If you're married here, you can go have fun with it later afterwards. Hey, here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. We got to talk about it, right? I mean, whether you're single, dating, married, you, you got you to gotta understand what the Bible teaches because most of us, we're carrying with us a whole lot of baggage sexually, stuff that was done to us a long time ago, stuff we did that we regret, things that have taken place in our lives, and we just, we got to be honest about all of us, I'm talking every single one of us is a little broken when it comes to our sexuality, and we just got to recognize, hey, we're, we're broken people, and we got to come and say, hey, what does God say about this? Because most of us, depending on where you grew up and how you grew up, have, have learned about sex not from the creator of sex, but from other people who act like they know what they're talking about. So just for, just for a few minutes here, I want you to put away your Cosmos seven secrets to your best sex ever, or put away like, whatever you learned in sixth grade in the football locker room. Just put that aside for a minute, and let's just come and say, hey, what, what does God have to say? What does God have to say to us about our sexuality? And here's the first big thing. And if you come away with nothing else today, come away with this. Sex was God's idea, right? Like God was the one who created sex. It says in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them. He's talking to Adam and Eve. So what's happened here is God has created the whole world. Everything. He just said, yep, that exists, and that exists, and let's do a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's all created, and this is what he says next. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, he wasn't talking about gardening, all right? This was not, like, here's how you have a good farm. When God said, be fruitful and multiply, Adam's like, oh, okay, cool. And God's like, no, like, be fruitful and multiply. Adam's like, oh, gotcha. I can just imagine... Like, at that point, Gabriel hit the recorder, or, like, hit the tape player, hit the CD player, whatever they had in heaven at the time, and Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On came on. I'm just, just imagining, like, that song hadn't been written yet, but it had to have existed throughout eternity. It's just, like, hits that, and Adam's like, all right, right? God said at the very beginning, like, I, I have created you, and I have created sex. God has designed it for us. Sex was God's idea. And often in the church the message, and a lot of you grew up in youth groups, you grew up in church, we start off when we're talking about sex with the big no, the big no, don't, don't have sex until marriage, that's it, don't have sex until marriage, and that's the message you come away with, and so, you know, that's, that's it, that's the church's message on sex, but the problem is, when you start off with the no, you miss out on God's plan on God's design for us as people, because God created you, get this, as a sexual being. I don't know if that makes you feel weird about God or about you or about anything else, but God created you as a sexual being, and sex was God's idea. You You know how God, God left his signature on sex, by the way. Every time somebody has a baby, God's like, yep, I'm the creator of life, and I'm the creator of what made that life. God just left his signature on all of our sexuality, God's the creator of sex. And I think, that, I think when we don't start off there, then, man, we, we get in some wacky stuff really fast. We get in some real Puritan stuff where we're not living the life God designed for. So I want you, everyone, right now, I want you just to be able to say the words Sex was God's idea. Okay, ready? So, ready? Say it. One, two, three. Yeah. Sex was God's idea. This is how cults start, right here. <laughs> That's weird. That's weird. Sex was God's idea. But here's the second truth that we see all throughout Scripture, right? Sex was God's idea. But we have twisted it up and messed it up. I mean, just look at your own life. Some of us were exposed way too young for things we never should have seen. You're, you're looking around, you know, you're looking around for something in your uncle's room, and suddenly there's the Playboy, and you're six years old. Or you're on your computer, something pops up. You're, you're 12 years old, you're 10 years old. You, you started off seeing things you shouldn't have seen way too young. Things being said to you shouldn't have been said experiencing things, and we have a twisted view of sex. And, and the Bible's really clear on this, that all throughout history, people have gotten this one wrong. We just, we just think, for some reason, that, that our view of sex is the right view of sex, but the truth is, none of us have an innate view of human sexuality. We've learned it. We've learned it from the people around us. We've learned it from society. We've learned it from things we've watched, things we've heard. I mean, it is crazy, like, just think about it for a second, that a lot of guys develop their view of human sexuality from their friends when they're in 6th grade, 5th grade, 4th grade. And, and ladies, I assume it's, it's pretty similar for y'all as well, but, like, you don't have the, lo- the football locker room as much. Like, think about that. The football locker room in 6th grade is your foundation for what sex is supposed to be. Like, there goes any hope for being normal in this life. That's, that's out the window right there. And so, and so we, we end up having our view of human sexuality shaped by all of these things around us. And so this is, this is actually a big point today. On your own, you are not equipped to make good, wise, healthy decisions about your sexuality. Because it's not, you're not coming from a good place. You're coming from a place of, I've been influenced by a, a culture that's, that's got a twisted view of sexuality. So we can't just say, okay, my, my view, I can just go with my view, because your view you're not some, like, sexual genius. Right, I know you, you, you might think you are. Who thinks that? I don't know. But, but you're not some sexual genius. You have been influenced by so many people and things around you. And so if you think, hey, I can just come and make good decisions, look at your past. I mean, look at your past. Have you on your own made wise decisions? It's kind of like I was, at a, I was at a bachelor party. We're not going where you think I might go with the start of that story. But I was at a bachelor party earlier this summer. And we were staying in this cabin, bunch of dudes, good time, no strippers involved. This is not one of those bachelor parties. We were hanging out in a cabin with a hot tub. So we go back to the hot tub, we flip up the cover of the hot tub, and there's stuff floating on top of it. You know, stuff that probably shouldn't be in a hot tub. I don't know who was in that hot tub before us. I don't know what kind of fungus was floating, but all of us saw it. And we should have been like, you know what, we're just going to go hang out inside, watch a movie instead. No, we didn't do that. It's a bachelor party. We're like, hey, yeah, just get that stuff off the top. Let's just scrape that stuff off the top. And then we proceed to spend about three hours in that hot tub. Fun time. Did you know if you take grapes, they'll, they'll sink to the bottom, and you can t- together fight over who can find the grape fastest? This is real fun. This is what God designed us to do in having fun, right? Fighting for grapes at the bottom of a hot tub. A bunch of grown men. It's ridiculous. We had such a fun time, we didn't even think twice about it until the next morning. When someone said, hey, I'm kind of itching a little bit. What's this bump I have? But you kind of keep that quiet, right? You don't really tell other people at first. You're like, oh, I've got a weird bump. Better not tell anybody else about that. And then somebody else is like, I've got a weird bump too, and it kind of itches. And pretty soon we realized every single one of us, including the groom, had rashes across our bodies, And so we're standing up for the wedding, you know, you're supposed to stand there and look regal, and we're like trying to scratch. You know, we're trying to scratch up there. And we thought for sure it was a yeast infection. Like, imagine that. You get a yeast infection at the bachelor party from the hot tub. You could have called, we could have called that one scene was on the top. We found out it's actually something called hot tub folliculitis. Which sounds even scarier. It sounds like it can kill you. Because we're texting about all the groomsmen after the wedding, we're like, how bad is this? Like, we have to get anything amputated? Like, what's going on here? Turns out, turns out, no, it, was, it was just hot tub folliculitis, which goes away after about a week. And here's where I'm going with all this. Often, we can see the problem with something going on, see the problem with the decision we're going to make, but we're so in the moment with it, we're not going to make our own wise decision. We're going to say, oh, just scrape that stuff off the top and hop on in. Don't worry about that. And so we, we are going to self-sabotage when it comes to our lives sexually. What we got to do is we got to look somewhere outside of ourselves that's not just in society, not just what someone else says. We need to look at what God says because we have to understand we have a twisted view of sex. Now, here's, here's where I'm going with all this. If you've got your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. It was a new church at the time, and Paul was writing a letter to them. Now, Corinth at the time was really whacked out sexually. Like, for anyone who thinks that our culture's a little weird when it comes to sex, they were really weird. Like, they would have mailboxes that were in the shape of a penis. Like, that's weird, okay? There's like, there's weird, there's really weird, there's Lady Gaga, then there's another couple levels, and then there's that. That's really weird. Like, they were just totally whacked out. They would have whole festivals where they would cart around a giant penis on a cart and worship it. That's how weird they were. All right. And Paul's writing to the church there being like, hey, dudes, I know you grew up here. I know this is normal. We're not going there. This is what he says 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Here's what he says Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy. Now, here's what I love. We want to start off just talking about sex, and he's like, no, it's not just sex, though, because we go into the next thing. Nor thieves, nor the greedy. Whoa, okay, Well, hold up a second. If you're greedy, you're in the same category as anybody else. All right, so a bunch of you just need to, this is a sermon about sex, but you need to repent of being greedy. Now, if, if you're a thief or a drunkard or greedy or a slanderer or a swindler, that whole category of people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does this mean? Inheriting the kingdom of God is someday there is an inheritance, right? Once Jesus comes back, we will all literally rise from the dead and we will be judged. And those who are truly following Jesus are going to receive this inheritance, and it's God's kingdom. But Paul's clear. He's like, hey, if you're practicing these things, you're living in this place, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on. And this is what I love because in every single life that has been changed by Jesus, there is this next part. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Some of you were sexually immoral. Some of you were idolaters, adulterers, greedy, drunkards. The list goes on. Such were some of you. But. And this is the, this is the beauty of the gospel. But you were washed You were sanctified, that is, made holy. You were justified, that means you're declared right, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's good news. It doesn't matter what we've done in our past. And let's just be real for a second. Every single one of us, including me, has sinned. And every single one of us has sinned sexually. That is not okay, but it's okay in the sense that we can be washed, sanctified, justified, made new, made clean, made right with God. And that's the beauty of what's offered to us. It doesn't matter what you've done. That doesn't have to determine your future. If you turn to God, give it to God, he's going to make you new. And, man, that's good news. Now, this word, that sexual immorality, starts off with, the sexually immoral won't inherit the kingdom of God. This word is kind of a catch-all phrase. You guys ever have a junk drawer in your house? It's like all the stuff we don't know what to do with just goes there. Okay, this word is pornos. You're like pornography. Pornography is just like sexually immoral writing is essentially what that word means at its origin. So pornos just means anything that is sexually immoral that he doesn't talk about elsewhere. It's just kind of like everything else. Put it in that, so put it in there. So anything that leads us to a place where we're putting our focus on things that lead us into lust things that lead us into sinning sexually. Because, because God's pretty clear, we're gonna get to this, but what, the, what his design for marriage is. And here's what I want us to understand. Twisted views in our minds are gonna lead to twisted actions. But, but here, here's the other thing you need to understand. God is not primarily concerned about your actions. Now, he does care, he cares what you do. But he's primarily concerned about your affections. Do you love him? Because if you truly love him, it's going to affect how you're living. If you truly love God and want what he wants, you're going to live in the right kind of way. And so this is what Paul's getting at, is you got to change your perspective so you can change your affections, what you love. Love God first, be transformed by him, and then do what he wants. Now some of you may be sitting here and be like, but you don't know how hard it is. Like It's really stinking hard to live our lives like God wants. Especially when it comes to sex. But here's the thing I get it. I understand. For all my single people here, I'm with you. Try, trying to stay pure and do what God wants you to do while you're single is not easy. Now, here's the other thing though. Don't count on marriage to make your life easy. Right? Just because you get married doesn't mean there won't be temptation and it won't be hard. And there'll be temptations to be unfaithful to your spouse, there'll be temptations to lust after someone, there'll be temptations. And so this is not a problem that's going to get fixed once you get to the next level. I think a lot of times, Christian single people especially are like, I just got to wait till I'm married and it's all going to be better then. Everything's going to be taken care of then. This is about our heart. This is about your heart. Is your heart given over to God and say, God, come on, come on, work in me, work in me. Okay, so the first thing we learn is sex is God's idea. The second thing is we've got a twisted view of sex. I'm talking about all of us. Without God, we have a twisted view of sex. And here's the third thing. God designed sex for marriage. Now, this is, this is what gets me. Most of us think that somehow God wants to limit our satisfaction by what he says. What we don't understand is God says everything he does, gives every command to us, because he wants to maximize our satisfaction, and he's the only one who really knows how. You've got to switch your perspective of God wants to limit me, keep me from having fun, Keep me from doing what I want to do. To God understands exactly how you can be satisfied and content and happy, and He's the only one who knows how that works in our lives. So we got to follow Him. It's kind of like anybody been to IKEA? Anybody try to put something together from IKEA? We got a bunch of people who've been to IKEA, but they never put something together from IKEA. I was putting together a shelf the other day. Now, how hard is a shelf to put together? It's like three screws up each side, and boom, it's done. Right? No, there were like 75 pieces of hardware, but there's like 74 different kinds of hardware. And you have to make sure you get A3 in the right hole, or A3 won't connect with B16 to make it work. And I spent hours putting it together. Now imagine if I'd had one of you wise guys come in and be like, oh no, you're not doing it right. Here's how you do it. And try to give me, hey, don't worry about putting the shelves in that way. That's just what the creator said to do. What does the creator know about putting a shelf together? Why don't you put it together this way? That'd be crazy. Like, it was already a pain in the butt enough to try to put it together that if I tried to do my own thing, I would still be working on it, right? Like, I'd just cancel service today and still be working on my Ikea shelf. Because you got to follow the instructions that the creator gave. That's exactly what's happening with our lives, In order to live our lives, no matter what area of our life it is, whether it's our sexuality or something else, we've got to live our lives in the way that the Creator designed. And our Creator has made clear in the Bible that sex is for marriage. This is what he says, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. This means when you're married, no adultery. No adultery, period, for any reason. But at the same time, we need to keep it pure in that we are not bringing into the marriage bed sexual immorality. Now, here's the, here's the reality. I already said it. Every single one of us in our past has sinned sexually. Every single one of us. Right? You're surrounded by a bunch of perverts. Did you know that? A bunch of perverts in this place today. This is pervert Sunday. Right? We're all here. We have all sinned sexually, but we can repent, be washed, be sanctified, be justified, and when we come to the points of our marriage. We can be pure and bring that purity into our marriage. And so then he says this in the same verse. He says, God's going to judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, we already read this in, in 1 Corinthians. This is not just to scare you. Right? God doesn't want to just scare you. He's just trying to tell you about the reality of life. When we resist God in any area of our life, reject his will for our lives, we're, we're in danger. Like We're in trouble when we reject God's will for our lives. And here's what gets me. I've already said it. Why are we listening to other people's opinions, opinions, when we have the creator's design in front of us? Why are we looking up and trying to figure stuff out online? Why are we trusting in porn creators to tell us what sex is supposed to be like when we have the creator's design? What does Hugh Hefner know that God doesn't? You think God's like, oh, look at Hugh Hefner's robe. I should get one of those. No, like God knows, God understands how he designed us. And so we just got to follow what he has said. It's kind of like watching YouTube video. You might here love YouTube, spend way too much time on YouTube, end up in weird places at YouTube at like 3 a.m. You're like, why am I watching this tutorial on how to like boil a watermelon in pig fat? Like, how did I end up here? And you just start to like question, does that video exist? Is this last night for me? You start questioning, like, what am I doing in life? You ever watch one of those longer videos, like made by some of these really quality channels, and they'll just go into in-depth about how something was made? It might be like an artist, you know, like an art channel, and they'll just go in depth about like this beautiful sculpture. And this this guy spent like 27 years of his life creating this sculpture, and you're like, that's breathtaking. That's beautiful. How'd you even do it? you just he's explaining it all in his heart and his passion and how everything is exactly like it needs to be and the pain he went through to create it and you're like that's you're inspired you're almost inspired enough to quit watching youtube for a minute and go do something with your life you're so inspired by it and then you scroll down and you see the first two comments it's like ladiesman 77382 you know and he's like this is trash he should have done it different it's <laughs> like that's that's terrible you should have made that sculpture without the head that's an ugly head and you just start scrolling down, and you're like, wow, humanity really is trash. Like, that's what you get from this. Now, now, now which one of us is gonna be like, you know what? That commenter's right. Like, that beautiful sculpture really is trash. It really is. No, you're gonna be like, that dude's an idiot. Like, ladies' man 7723 or whatever is a total imbecile in his mom's basement, and he's 45 years old, right? He's just like, what? what why would I listen to him? Well, in our lives, look, we do, we do this. We listen. To ladies, men 7723, instead of the creator of our lives. Why do we do that? I really think the reason we do it is because we just want to do what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do. And so we got to reorient our perspective and say, no, God has a design, the creator who told Adam and Eve way back when to, to be fruitful and multiply, he's the one who understands. Let's trust him. And so here's a question I have I have hardly heard talked about. In church why did God design for sex to be only practiced within marriage we say stuff like that the Bible says stuff like that but why so at the very beginning Genesis chapter 1 God creates everything and he creates everything just in fact he says it's good he says everything's good and then he creates humans and he says that is very good God has created everything just like he intended to at the center of God's creation, everything he wants about it is relationship. God created us in his image, the Bible says. Because we are created in the image of God before we are anything else, we are fundamentally people who are capable of receiving and giving love. We're relational. In fact, it says this, that when Adam, it doesn't say Adam like had sex with Eve, it says Adam, it's a very Bible way of saying it, Adam, Knew Eve. Adam experienced Eve. The word there is no yada in the Hebrew, it just means to experience or to know something. Adam came to know on a deeper, more intimate level Eve. And Eve came to know on a deeper, more intimate level Adam. God has created us to be people with the capacity for relationship. And He has created our sexuality to join us to someone else spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Now, now, I don't know if you guys have read about the chemistry of our brains. When you have sex with someone, there are a lot of chemicals that are released in your brains. This is why it feels so good. But what they do is not just give you pleasure, it actually connects you to that person. So the, the chemicals that are released actually connects you to that person. And even more than that, scripture teaches us that there's a spiritual connection made. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when you have, he's talking about, People in the church who are sleeping with prostitutes, he's like, yo, don't do that. Because when you do that, you are joining yourself, you are connecting yourself spiritually with that prostitute. Right? There's something spiritual that takes place, emotional, physical that takes place. Now, here's what we got to understand when we enter into something that intimate, we've got to have a commitment, a, this is a Bible word, a covenant to match it. So intimacy has to be matched by our covenant. What we have promised to the other person, I'm committing my life to you, period, for good, for life. I'm offering this to you. Only then can we offer the deepest parts of ourselves sexually. And only in that marriage can we do it in a place that's protected, in a place that is good, in a place that's going to help us and allow us to be all that God created us to be. So society says... Sex is the ultimate act of self-expression. Be yourself. Express yourself however you want. And that's, that's like the total opposite. That's what humans have been saying for thousands of years. What God says is sex is the ultimate expression of intimacy and covenant. Intimacy and commitment. Now, you know Satan has his design for our sexuality, right? It doesn't directly say this in Scripture. Paul's writing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and this is what he says. He says, husbands and wives, so all the single people, you're off the hook for a second. He says, husbands and wives, don't deprive each other of sex. This is super weird. Like, Paul, why are you writing about this, man? Don't deprive each other of sex except for a short time to pray. Now, like, that's a little weird. I don't want to think about that. Right, Paul says, if, if you're married and you're going to take like a, a break from sex for a little while, don't do it for too long and only do it To devote yourself to prayer more that's what the bible says now why does he say that because in marriages now i've never been married but i have i have served in ministry alongside and to a lot of people who've been married when you are married married people correct me if i'm wrong not during the service afterwards when you're married satan does what he can to pull you apart right so get this single people dating people before we're married satan's trying to pull you together sexually everything he can do to get you to not follow God's design sexually. As soon as you're married, he's going to start trying to pull you apart sexually. Why? Because your sexuality, how you express that with your spouse is tied to your commitment and covenant with them. Satan wants to mess it all up. So what do we do? We know that God's created sex for a reason. He created it for a reason within marriage, but we're broken. So where does that leave us? It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of their body. But he who sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Here's what we have to do. We're broken people in a broken world. We've got to be honest about that. And then we have to take that brokenness and we have to give it to God. This is the hardest thing about life is when you have to give something over to God. We've got to give our sexual brokenness over to God. This word flee, flee sexual immorality. It's only used in the Bible when someone is getting away from something dangerous behind them, something that's coming for them. Think about it like a grizzly bear, right? Grizzly bear comes in this place. He could come up behind me right now out of this wall. You guys wouldn't say anything to me. You wouldn't be like, hey, Elijah, there's a grizzly bear. You would be out the door while I was getting mauled, right? Like You just flee from something dangerous just like that. It doesn't matter what happens to Elijah. You're out the door. You're fleeing from something dangerous, right? That's, that's how we work. We flee from dangerous things. And and so Paul says, hey, you got to have in your mindset that sexual immorality is not just something, a decision I could or could not make. Our sexual immorality is actually something that is dangerous. It threatens who we are, and it threatens other people around us. So we got to flee. And then it says this, honor God. And he doesn't say honor God at church, honor God with your Bible study, honor God with how nice of a person you are, honor God with how well you can or can't sing in church. Honor God. It says honor God with your body, right? A lot of times we want to separate what we do with our body from how we honor God, but we're supposed to bring glory to God with how we use our body. Honor God with our bodies. Why? Because we were bought with a price. Now, Paul has told us, no matter where you are at, no matter where you were, you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified. You can be made clean, you can be made different, holy, like God wants you to be, and you can be made right with God, no matter what has happened. It says in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins one to another and pray so that you may be healed. A lot of us are wrestling and we feel the shame or the weight of something that has happened in our past, or we feel bound by something that's happening in our present. And we want to just go to God and pray about it to God because that's safe. What we need to do, if if you are struggling under the shame of something in the past or you're struggling in the bondage of something in your present, you need to find someone else that you can go to and confess where you are and confess your need for help and then have that person pray with you. And it says in the Bible that through that process of confession and prayer, we will be healed. Wherever you are now, whatever brokenness you have, God can make it right. Completely right. Totally right. But we've got to give ourselves to him. A lot of us are living under curses of generational brokenness. Right? This isn't something that's new with you. Something that was going on with your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. You're not smart enough to come up with a new perversion or a new weird thing to do. Like, this has been going on for generations. And a lot of us are living under the weight of that. You may not know it. Your parents may never share stuff with you. But we're living under the weight of that. And with you, it can change. Your whole future, your family's future can change right now. But God's calling us to be clean, to be right before him. And so this is not a message here to beat you down. It's a message to lift you up. Because the promise is this. God's got a design for our lives, and he can make it happen. Even if you can't, even if you're unable, you don't know, you can't make it happen, God can make it happen. But it all starts with giving our brokenness over to him. Some of us right now, you're feeling this right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. you got some brokenness. You're not living your life according to God's design. I'm not asking you to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask you to do that today. It's a little too personal for that. I'm not going to ask you to do anything active in response, but I want you in your heart To be open to letting God deal with you. To be open to letting God challenge you, and then you respond. And what's responding going to look like? It's going to look like saying, God, here I am. God, I'm surrendering this. I'm giving this over to you and just asking that you would help me. That you would wash me. That you'd make me different. That you would make me right with you. And then you'd empower me to go out and actually live that way. Let's go to prayer right now. Jesus, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here today who have come out on this Sunday. Father, And I ask that you would help those of us who are still in the middle of wrestling with and dealing with our own brokenness. God, I ask that you would be with us. And again, I'm not going to have anyone raise a hand or say anything, but if you are here today... And you sense God speaking to you, challenging you. Scripture today has pointed out in your own life how you need to change and adjust and shift your life. Right now, just have a conversation with God. And say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Help me, make me new. Lord, transform this area of my life. I don't want to be under a generational curse. Lord, I don't want to be stuck in the same way that my family's done it for generations. I want to do something different. Lord, I don't want to stay stuck as that 10-year-old who was exposed to pornography for the first time. I want to make a different way. I want to chart a different course. God, I don't want to let what someone has done to me in the past determine what you want to do with me in the future. God, I'm going to to let you start working in that and transforming me. Father, I pray a blessing of my brothers and sisters that you would help each one of us to bring ourselves fully, to bring ourselves completely, to bring ourselves without holding back to you so that you can make us new. Father, wash us, make us right, and change us to look more like you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.